1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, today is honestly a, a truly exciting day um, and possibly the most significant day in the life of Liberty Church so far. And I'm really pleased that we're here to mark it and we're here to celebrate it uh, together. Uh, just about three years ago, just over three years ago, we planted Liberty Church, Lark Lane. We launched publicly over the road in Nono's on Lark Lane. And three years later, we are commissioning Ryan Mason as an elder of Liberty Church. And this morning, all I want to do just simply is just talk through what an elder is, what a church elder is. And, and as I say that, that might be something that's really familiar to you. It might be something that's not familiar to you at all, the, the idea of a, an elder in the church. I know when I was growing up, if someone had said an elder to me, my mind would have gone to the Mormons. Like we used to have Mormons knock at the door quite a lot. My friend was a, a Mormon and they have badges which says elder, uh, whatever their name is. And maybe you just have different understandings and perceptions of, of what elders are or perhaps different experiences of what church elders are. You might have been brought up in the church. You might have a really good experience of what it is to be led by elders in the church, you may not. This morning, I want us just to be really clear what the Bible says an elder of God's church should be. Before we get there, I just want to take a few minutes just to be really clear what the church is. We'll talk about what elders are and we'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 in a minute, but let me just briefly clarify what we mean by the church because this is a, a wonderful gathering, isn't it? Like we love this, this time that we have together. We love this body that God has brought us into. We love this, this uh, family. But I want us to be really clear, this is more than just a gathering. In fact, and I say this quite a lot, this gathering that we have here, and not just on Sunday, but through the week, has cosmic significance. And what I mean when I say cosmic is literally like, what do we think of when, it, when we say cosmic? The stars, the universe. Just think about that for a minute. In this small room in L17 this morning, what we do and who we are and the people that come together have an impact that ripples across the universe. That's incredible. Like, this is significant. This is more just than just a gathering of nice people in a nice place. This, this isn't either, I want us to be clear, this isn't an institution. Maybe when we think of church, we think of of an institution, but that isn't what this is. This isn't an organization. It isn't a business. It is something much more profound with much more significant impacts than any of those things. I just want to give us four metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what this is. I've mentioned some of them already. The first one is this, the church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And Paul talks about that in, in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and when he says the bride of Christ, notice he doesn't say that we are the wife of Christ. And I think he says that because, let's think of Johnny and Lottie. When, when they get married in a couple of days' time, it's getting close. Um, Johnny will stand with his bride. And when we think of, of a husband's bride, we think of, of the day, we think of the wedding day, we think of the commitment, we think of a bond of love, we think of the husband just delighting in, in this, this uh, a partner who comes in. 
Sometimes, husbands, you can relate here, and I need to be very careful. Sometimes when we think about our wives, we don't necessarily think of them as our brides. We think of everything else that comes with being married, the difficulties, the struggles. But God says, the church is my bride. He delights in her. There is a bond of love, a seal of commitment. He also calls the church his dwelling place, the dwelling place of God. So we we know, right, that, that places aren't holy. God's church is where he dwells. God's people are holy. And that's why we're happy to meet in a bar. Like this would really freak some people out, but, but it isn't the space that makes it holy. It is the people. We are the dwelling place of God. He calls uh, the church the family of God. We see that a lot in the New Testament. We are the family of God. That's why we say it jokingly sometimes, but when we call each other bro or, or sister or, or whatever we, we might use, and we use kind of familial terminology, that's because we are family. We are brothers and sisters, and all of us are brothers and sisters. And in the same way, within a family, there's different roles and different responsibilities. We see that in the church. And here's another one, just the final one. The Bible would call the church the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are his feet, his hands, his voice. We are the presence of Jesus Christ on the earth. And there's just four metaphors, there's lots more, but even just in those four, we can see how important this gathering is, how important the church is for the world. We are the bride of Christ, the dwelling place of God himself, the family of God, his body, and he has given us his gospel. There is no greater message, no more urgent message that the world needs to hear than the gospel. That without God, we are walking towards an eternity of judgment. But he has made a way through the finished work of the cross, through his son's life, death, burial and resurrection for us to be brought into the presence of God, for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have eternal life in him. He has given us the church, the family of God, his bride, that message to take to the world. And so can I just say this? There is no more important gathering in the cosmos. Because we have the most important message in the cosmos. And that is why we have leaders to lead us. Here's a a name that some of you uh, may be familiar with. In fact, put your hands up. Have you ever heard of uh, Andy Jassy? Anyone ever heard of that name? Andy Jassy. Well, you will do in a few years' time. He is currently the most powerful man on the planet. He's the new CEO of Amazon. So Jeff Bezos, who's been uh, the CEO of Amazon for the last few decades, has moved aside and brought a new leader in, Andy Jassy. Now, Andy Jassy, you can just imagine the the job interview. I said this a few weeks ago. Some of us have had job interviews recently, and they've been tough, right? Imagine what Andy Jassy's interview was like. Well, in reality, his interview has lasted 15 years. They've been watching him for 15 years. For 15 years, Jeff Bezos has been thinking, this is the guy who's going to replace me. So he's been watching him, giving him certain jobs and certain responsibilities to do, making sure that he's the right man to do this job because it is literally the most influential, powerful company on the earth. It's important that he gets the right people in to lead in the right areas. And if the church is the most significantly important body in the world then we 
we should not take our leaders and bring in our leaders into this body any less seriously. And so there are all sorts of different areas of leadership in the church. But the book stops with the elders of the church. We see elders in all of the New Testament churches. They have an important function and the book stops with them. The role of the elder in the church that we see in New Testament. And when I say elder, often we kind of hear these words, which are all synonymous. They mean the same thing. Pastor, shepherd, presbyter or bishop. They're all the same words. Now, we're probably never going to call anyone a bishop in in Liberty Church. We'll see how how Ryan gets on. But but elder and pastor are probably the two ones that that we we are quite familiar with. They, They mean the same thing. So if you call me your pastor, you're calling me your elder. If you call me your elder, you're calling me your pastor. They mean the same thing in the New Testament. Elder, pastor, shepherd. And Liberty Kids, you're going to just look a little bit about what a shepherd is on your sheets this morning. And maybe you can share with us some of your thoughts at the end. Elder, pastor, or shepherd are consistent names that are used for the leaders that God puts in the church where the book stops in the New Testament. And really, there are two primary roles of the elders. First, the elders govern the church. So you'll see in the passage we're going to read in a minute that that they are overseers. They oversee the church. They are watching out for the health of the church. So they are watching, looking across the church and seeing, okay, where do we need to grow? Where do we need to push forward the mission? Where do we need to spend our resources or pull our resources back? Where do we need to advance things or maybe slow things down? And they will govern the church prayerfully and energetically. So firstly, they govern. Secondly, they teach. So if you come into Liberty Church and you have a question about, about who God is or about the scriptures, if you want to know what does, it, what does it mean that God is sovereign or what does salvation mean, if you want to know those things, you should be able to go to the elders of that church and they sit you down with their Bibles open and explain those things to you. The elders are teachers. They have a tight hold of their Bibles. They are devoted to the word of God and they are able to teach it. The role of the elder is to govern and to teach. And let me just say, that holds a lot of power. And just think about anywhere in the world. If you, if you have a position where you're able to govern and oversee and also teach people, so influence how people think, that comes with a lot of power, doesn't it? If you're able to influence people and say, this is where we're going or this is how we're going to use our resources, that, that kind of comes with a lot of power. Therefore, it is imperative that we have the right man standing in that role. Now, there are lots of passages that we could go to in the New Testament to talk about what that kind of man looks like. But we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3 and that passage alone this morning. Let me read it to us, just verses 1 to 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and he says this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So um, we see through the Gospels, Jesus leading his church, shepherding the church. He, he, he dies, he uh, resurrects, he ascends and then uh, commissions the church. The church are sent out to go and grow and take the gospel. And as the church grows, we see through the book of Acts, they need leaders to help them grow, to help them be governed and to be taught. And so the apostles through the book of Acts prayerfully and, and carefully appoint elders in the local churches. And here in, in this first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus as Paul is trying to lead things in that new church. And Paul gives 16 qualifications. In these first uh, seven verses of chapter three, he gives 16 qualifications for what this elder, for what the elders of the church in Ephesus and right across history should look like. And let me just say this. It is not a list that when you look at it, if you don't kind of marry up to that list, it doesn't mean that you're a, a bad person or a bad man. It just means that you're not yet ready for eldership. But on the other hand, the quality that we just read there shouldn't really be any different from any other qualities that we see in any godly Christian, whether they're a man, a woman, whether they're an elder or not. The things we've just read there, we should want to see those things in each other's lives. It is just that they will be particularly evident in the life of an elder of a church. And notice in that list, 16 different characteristics. Notice the balance between gifts and character. Out of the 16 things that Paul has just listed out, only one of them is an area of gifting. So the ability to teach. All of the other 15 are, are just godly characteristics. So these are things that we look at someone and we see them. Not necessarily things that they're able to do, but things that they are. And Paul isn't saying that Christians are perfect. And they certainly shouldn't pretend to be perfect, but he is saying that they have an unequal responsibility within the life of the church. This is why James says in, in his uh, letter, he says that, that not many of you should desire to be teachers because it comes with a, a level of responsibility and weight. In Hebrews chapter 13, we see that the elders of the church will and literally will have to stand before God and give an account for how they have led the church. That comes with weight. That comes with responsibility. And the consequence of them getting things wrong is great. It is great for them and it is great for us. The collateral of an elder getting things wrong and falling and stumbling is significant for us. And unfortunately, haven't we seen that in, in just Christian news over the last six to 12 months? Leaders of churches, pastors and elders, leaders of significant ministries, fallen into sin and the consequences being devastating for those around them. So it is important that we get our elders right. Not that we pick people who are our friends. Not that we pick the natural leader or the one who is a natural extrovert or the one who is a great preacher and just overlook their character. And Paul says that this is important. And in fact, look at how he started. He actually puts the weight on, on the elder. 
The weight of calling falls on the elder. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So you need to know this morning, Ryan isn't coming, kicking and screaming. Like, it's not like we've, we've looked around, we're desperate for someone to be an elder and we've kind of just shackled Ryan and we're pulling him, him, pulling him in against his will. No, he wants to do this. He desires to be an elder of this church. And can I just say, that is a good thing. Let's not think that that's someone being proud. That is a good and godly thing. And I want to encourage the other men in this church, that is a goodly thing to aspire to the office of an elder. It is a noble thing. Paul says that. And we know it's noble because, I hope that Ryan knows this, this office comes with no glitz and no glam whatsoever. In fact, Paul elsewhere talks about the kind of office that Ryan is going to be stepping into. He says, it's like you're an ox. He says, don't muzzle an ox as it treads out its grain in another passage. Now, has anyone ever seen an ox? Anyone? Uh, Andy, tell us what an ox looks like. Or what comes to mind when you think of an ox? Hard working. Hard working. Stubborn. Stubborn. Okay, interesting. Are they pretty? No. <laughs> Listen, oxes are ugly beasts. Like they are, they grunt and they sweat and they work hard and they are muddy and they get their, they haven't got hands, but they get their mot- metaphorical hands dirty. Like, like that is what Ryan is stepping into. He's not stepping into a role where he's going to be pampered and necessarily looked after in a certain way. No, this is a calling of work, of energy and commitment. It's a noble calling. Paul says, okay, if you want to aspire to this, this is what it will look like. Firstly, it will be you being someone who is truly above reproach. What he means by that is not the, not the elders are perfect. There will be sin. But it does mean that there is no one either inside or outside the church that will be able to point at an elder and see a consistent area of unrepentant sin in their life. A consistent area of sin in their life that they are refusing to walk away from. And that is why I asked you, I said to you, look at Ryan Mason and come and tell me. If you see any area that is of concern or or, or worry, come and tell me. Guess how many emails I got? No, I didn't get any. I didn't get any comments at all about Ryan because he is someone who is above reproach. We can't put our finger on a, a kind of area of grievous sin in his life. Is he a sinner? Yes, of course he is. But by the grace of God, he repents, he walks away from it, and he consistently battles against the flesh. The elder will be above reproach. Verse 2, they will be husband of one Wife, or if you look at your footnotes, if you've got an ESV, Paul talks about them being a one woman kind of man. That means that you don't necessarily have to be married to be an elder, but if you are, you will have one wife. There will be complete fidelity in your relationship. And let me just kind of be clear as well. I keep saying man or husband. Am I saying that women can't be elders in the church? Yes, that is what the Bible says. Let me be clear, this isn't about gifting, this isn't about equality, this isn't about tradition, it's not about power. It is not that men are given greater authority than women at all. Let me call you back to what the church is again. This this church is the family of God. And God in his wisdom has designed this body to function like a healthy family would with spiritual fathers who care and shepherd and serve and sacrifice and protect the church. And that is a good thing. 
None of you would protest against me doing those things as a father for my children. And so we don't need to protest against it in the church either. And I want to encourage you ladies this morning. You will, you are, and you can flourish in this church using all of the gifts that God has given you. You will, and I really want you to do that. And you'll be led humbly by elders who are men. But that does not mean that we lord anything over you. We are your brothers and you are our sisters. Husband of one wife, verse two again, they will be self-controlled. Paul's just saying that they won't be prone to excess. He says they will be sober-minded. By that, he means that they'll have a, a temperate character. So if the, if the plane is going down, our elders will be the ones who are giving out the masks. They're not going to be the ones who are panicking and, and wanting to jump off first. Like they are temperate, sober-minded. They are respectable, hospitable, Paul says. There is something about the hospital about them. Like they tend and they care to others. It isn't just that you see an elder stand at the front of the church on Sundays and then you don't see them through the week. You'll see them and you'll hear from them through the week. They will tend to the church. They will care for the church. And in terms of hospitality, they will open their home. They will open their home particularly to strangers. They will serve and love in a way that matches what they teach. And they will show a genuine love for the community into which they have been called. They will be hospitable to the community into which they have been called. So let me say this. If, if they do not love the people of Lock Lane, if they do not love the people of, of Liverpool, they will not be an elder of this church. And here we come to the gifting. Paul says that they will be able to teach. That means that you can go to them if you have a problem or a concern with something that, that you've read in Scripture or something of your understanding of God. And the first place that they will turn to help will be their Bible. These are men of the word. They are not superstar preachers, but they are daily shepherds of God's people with God's word. Verse 3, Paul says they will not be given to drunkenness. It's clear what he's saying there. He says they will not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Now listen to this. They could be a man of sound doctrine. But if they have no love for the church, if they don't have a zeal for unbelievers and wanting unbelievers, particularly in our context, the people in and around these streets and in our city, if they have no zeal, no burden for the lost, they will never be an elder here. If they have no compassion, if they have no grace, if they have a sharp tongue, they will not be an elder here. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Again, that speaks for itself. If we were to look at the finances of the elders of the church, we would see that they are the most sacrificial people in this church. They set an example in that way. Not necessarily that they give the most, but we can see regular habitual patterns of sacrificial generosity in their lives. The money is not their idol. And in verse 4, if we were to go to their house, we would see that it is managed well. Now again, let's be clear what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that if we go to an elder's house, we should um, see everything kind of, uh, or we should not see any mess and no clutter. Although, as it happens, if you were to go to Rana Jordina's house, you would not see a piece of dust on any of the furniture. It is the most 
uh, clean and uncluttered house, you will find. Um, but that is not what Paul is saying. He is talking here about a husband managing his, his home as in his family well. He's talking about his wife and his children. He's saying if you look at an elder, you would see that his wife and his children are, are, are being uh, cared for and loved for well. Not that he has robotic kids or a, a wife that floats around on air all the time, but he is saying that there is an expectation that he will look after his family. His family will respect him. He will provide for his family. That oftentimes if he walked in unexpected, he will have his, his Bible open and his hands around his family praying for them. That's what Paul says we should expect. And he says, if you can't care for your bride, don't think you can care for Jesus' bride. If you can't shepherd your children, don't think that you can shepherd God's children. The household will be managed well. But can I just make one thing clear? The primary ministry of any elder, if they are married, is their wife. And then their children. And then the church. They will not neglect their wife or their children over us. And that is a good thing. That is a godly example to follow. Paul says in verse 6, they will not be a recent convert. It's straightforward what he's saying here. If you thrust someone into responsibilities too soon, before they've got the experience to carry it, it will crush them. And it will not go well for those that they are leading. And so there has been a period of watching and observing. Ryan, he's already been an elder at Cornerstone Church Liverpool. So we've seen that in some sense in another church. And we've been able to witness that here at Liberty Church. And then finally, in verse 7, Paul says that they all have a good reputation with outsiders. Have you thought well by outsiders? So if we talk to the neighbours of a church elder, if we went to their workplace, it would not be a surprise to them that he is a leader in the local church. He conducts himself honestly and respectfully and with integrity. He talks to them about his faith in Jesus. He is thought well of by outsiders. Folks, he who aspires to the office of an overseer and elder desires a noble task. And let me just quickly give us three things that this office is not. Firstly, it is not for the lazy. The elders of your church are up. Many times praying before you're awake, up late into the night when many of us will be in bed, pouring into equipping the saints for ministry in this church. It's not for the lazy. It's not for the fame. Like Ryan coming into this isn't him climbing a ladder. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not lording anything over anyone. He is no more important than anyone else in this church. And even as he comes into eldership, the table is round. Like it's not that he's trying to climb on top of me or I sit on top of him. The elder table is round. I don't have any more authority than he does. It's not for the lazy. It's not for fame. And it is not for power. It is not for power. In fact, the position of an elder is a position of humility. Here's something that I'd like to say and see. If you look at the elders of our church you would see that their knees and their Bibles are worn out. And here's what I mean by that. That they are humble men who rely on the word of God for their counsel. 
who open the word of God every day. And so their Bibles are tattered because that is where they spend their lives. And their knees are worn and grazed. Some of you have got softer skin than others, so maybe this might not resonate. But they are on their knees praying. Praying frequently for the church and for the lost on their knees, crying out that God would save, that God would grow, that God would equip his church. That's how hell this should be. We should have worn out knees and worn out Bibles because we are humble. We are not in it for the power. And in fact, if you think of the model that we are living in in reflection of, Jesus Christ, the greatest shepherd, he is the epitome of humility. Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And in Jesus, we see a life of humility, a life of grace, a life of peace, a life of patience, a life of compassion. And that is the mold that elders walk in. And so if we are going to shepherd like Jesus, we will ferociously defend the holiness of God. We will have a deep-seated compassion for the lost. We will be willing to, to literally put our lives on the line for the sake of the church. We are not in it for the power. We are in it to walk humbly like Jesus. And actually when elders, when they, when they reflect Jesus and when they follow Jesus, that makes us easy to follow. Let's remember that we're not Jesus. Our elders are not Jesus. The best elders we know will reflect Jesus, but they will also lead us towards him. And that is what today is all about. Like I'm talking a lot about elders here and we're going to bring Ryan into eldership. But ultimately today is not about Ryan. Today is not about me. Today is not even just about the people in this room. Today is what we read about in Psalm 96. It is all about the praise and fame of Jesus. That is the reason why we are here. That is the reason why we're bringing Ryan into eldership. It is to show the glory of God to the world. It is to strengthen us as a church so we can more better and, and effectively take the gospel to these streets around us, to the homes of people who don't yet know Jesus. That is why we're bringing Ryan in. So we can maximize our gospel impact, so we can strengthen the body. It is not about bringing our friends in. It is not about making a holy huddle. This morning is about priming the pump for the mission of God and the result will be an increase in the fame and the praise of Jesus. And isn't that what we want? That will be the result of what we do in a few moments time. This is, honestly folks, I think this is the most significant day of our church so far. And I want to commit to you, I want to excite you this morning that we will see an extension of the mission of God as a result of laying hands on our brother in a few moments. We will see more people praising Jesus as a result of us laying hands on Ryan in a minute. That is a great and wonderful thing. He who aspires to the office of an elder desires a noble task. So I stood here four weeks ago and asked you to consider Ryan for eldership. Before that, Ryan had been through a long process of, um, of, assess- of assessment that started with a written assessment. So sharing personal testimony, theology, leadership, evangelism, pastoral giftings. And uh, Georgina's had to do a, a, her own uh, part of that as well. 
And that's kind of a high level view. Do we think that Ryan is, is gifted and has the right character to be an elder in God's church? And, and the, the response to that was yes. The last few months, we spent more time kind of closer together, doing more of a detailed evaluation and assessment, particularly looking at Ryan's compatibility with Liberty Church. So does he, does he hit the bar of 1 Timothy 3? Yes. But, but does he hit the bar in terms of what it looks like to be an elder in this local church here? And so we talked about our vision. We talked about uh, finances, areas of weakness, areas of temptation. We've spoken to Ryan's outside uh, employer, his school. We've got an understanding of Ryan's different worldviews, talked through different pastoral scenarios. And it's been a robust procedure, folks, a robust assessment. We put a lot of prayer into this as well. And, and I want to encourage us that the, the overwhelming response as Ryan has been sharing has been this is right. And Ryan is right to stand before us this morning and to be brought into church as one of our elders. So that's what we're going to do. Ryan and Georgie are wanting to come to the front. Um, Elizabeth's going to come up as well. Um, we're going to welcome Ryan in as an elder of Liberty Church, folks. Um, the reason Georgina's coming up is not because an elder's wife is a particular area of office in the church. It isn't. But I want us to recognize that the elders of, of God's church, when they function as they should, um, their families will feel the weight of that. Ryan's going to be out in evenings, up early in mornings he's going to be investing more of his time in 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 the life of the church than he has before and georgie is going to feel the weight of that god will and their children are going to feel the weight of that my children feel the weight of that elizabeth feels the weight of that and so it's right for us to to pray for for our elders but also pray for their wives as well so we're going to lay hands on georgie as well in a minute as we pray what i want us to do in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to covenant together Ryan's going to listen to the covenant that he's going to make with us as a church. And after every few lines, he's going to say, I do. Which sounds like what we might say at a wedding. Because at a wedding, we make a covenant. We make a promise with the one that we're going to marry. We say, we're not going to run away from this. Even when it gets hard, even when it gets tricky, even when you're not like you were on the day that I first met you, I'm going to stay. I'm going to hold on to you. And so Ryan's going to say, I do to the promises that I read out to him. And let me just say, as we finish off just uh, these verses in 1 Timothy 3, we might think that the application of this passage is just for Ryan. I get a tick list of qualifications for Ryan. But there's another application which we're all going to participate in. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you see uh, Paul encouraging the church through Timothy to pray. To pray for their leaders. So I'm going to ask us as a church to enter into a ministry today, a ministry of prayer for Ryan and for Georgina. We need to recognise if what we are doing this morning is about an increase of the praise and fame of Jesus Christ, he is going to be opposed. The enemies of God are going to stand against him. And so more than ever, the Masons need our prayer, folks. And so I want you to commit, please. Don't assume that they're okay. Don't presume that they don't need care as well. Don't presume that they don't need that text just to see how they're doing. 
They need your love and their care and their prayer more than ever. So church, can we stand together? I'm going to read the covenant. And then on the second part of your orders of service as well, things are just in a different order a little bit. I'm going to ask us to covenant as well. Before I read them, can you just have a little read through that and make sure you're comfortable with making this promise? Because we're going to make this promise to Ryan this morning and before God this morning. And we need to mean what we say. So before I, I read that for us and ask you to respond, just have a quick read. And as you do, let me just read this uh, to us. This is a description of what is about to happen. And folks, let me just say as well, we're going to pray for these in a minute and we're going to lay hands on them. We're just going to do that because that is the right and biblical thing to do. I've, I've got clean hands, Elizabeth has clean hands, and everything will be okay. But it's right that we do that, okay? But let me just read this. God gave the New Testament church the office of elder to lead the local believers. And we believe that a biblically-based church is to be led by a plurality of duly qualified, God-honoring men called elders. Elders are called to cast vision for the church and shepherd, equip, oversee, discipline, and protect the saints, devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Those who lead a church must be fully surrendered to Christ and qualified according to scripture. Jesus' model of servant leadership must be followed as they lead the flock, make disciples, and seek to reach the world around us. Okay, I'm going to read this covenant. Ryan's going to say, uh, hopefully I do um, in response. Ryan, do you covenant to prayerfully seek God's will for our church community and steward her resources to the best of our ability based on our study of the scriptures and following of the Spirit? I do. Ryan, do you covenant to care for the church and seek her growth in grace, truth and love? Ryan, do you covenant to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture to equip the members of the church for the work of ministry, to be on guard against false teachers and teachings, to lovingly exercise discipline when necessary for the glory of God, the good of the one disciplined, and the health of the church as a whole? Great stuff. Okay, now it's our turn. When I've kind of read this, can we just have a hearty, we do, as an affirmation, of Ryan this morning. Liberty Church, do you, the members of Liberty Church, acknowledge and publicly receive Ryan as an elder of the church called to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. We do. Great. Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully, submitting to his leadership that by the grace of God we may accomplish the vision and the mission of this church to the glory of God? We we great stuff. Let's pray. Just keep standing, folks, as we pray for these guys. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift of your church and this church here, Liberty Church. We thank you for how you have grown us and led us to this moment over the past few years. And Father, this is a significant moment and a moment which we are convinced you are going to use to bring about more people praise in the name of your son. And so, Father, we want to pray for blessing on Ryan and Georgie. We want to pray for protection on their marriage. Father, bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. We pray that they will be rooted and grounded in your word. 
Father, as a church, help us to love them well. Help us to serve them well. Help us to willingly and joyfully submit to the leadership of Ryan. And keep him steadfast in prayer. Keep him grounded on your work. Keep him from sin, Father, we pray. Idolatry. Keep him from anything that would distract him from the, from the mission and disqualify him from this office. Father, keep his thoughts, words, deeds and actions pure in every way. Father, we want to pray for our church and we want to pray for our city. Father, please bring about the salvation of those who don't yet know you because of what we are doing right now. Please bring about the equipment of the saints in this room because of what we are doing right now. Please raise up more leaders, more men and women who are willing to step into areas of service for your glory, for your name's sake, and the praise of your son Jesus. Father, we love the Masons, dear. We are so thankful for them. We ask again for your blessing upon them. And for us as your church as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his glory.